now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Yes, it's a great day and a great nation, despite the fact that the president of Colombia, which used to be one of the closest aligned of all the Latin American countries with the United States of America, and one of the most sympathetic, the Colombian president, whose name is Gustavo Petro, sitting next to Al Gore, who was worried about rain bombs. It's his phrase. Rain bombs and boiling oceans. It's, boy, that sounds like a science fiction title. That's great. A rain bombs and boiling oceans. That can be the next Al Gore bestseller. Uh, seriously, somebody should tell Al that I'm, I'm suggesting that for his uh, uh, book title. I mean, uh, this is, Al, Al is a Nobel Prize winner. He's an Oscar winner. And, uh, and um, again, now maybe a Nobel Prize for literature. Enough already! Winston Churchill won a Nobel Prize for literature. He really did. And uh, Al, Al Gore, with his uh, forthcoming title, Rain Bombs and Boiling Oceans. I love that. In any event, um, sitting next to Al Gore, the Gustavo Petro uh, said that... Uh, Capitalism created global warming and our state of global anarchy, and humanity must overcome capitalism, and that's a direct quote, in order that we can live in our planet. Okay, that's why there are so many millions of people who are running away from capitalism. Uh-huh. Isn't it the opposite? In other words, if you look at the people who are fleeing Latin America, they're not fleeing the countries that have a capitalism and personal liberty. They're fleeing countries like Venezuela and Nicaragua and, uh, and Cuba, where so many of the very, very best of, uh, of Cuban people have come to the United States. And part of the reason is I referred, uh, when we were talking about this earlier, I referred to a piece that is very, very important, and I, it really deserves some attention. It's a piece that uh, uh, appeared in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, and uh, it's by Phil Graham, a former U.S. senator and economics professor, and he is co-writing with uh, John Early who served twice as assistant commissioner at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. And someone who was working in the Bureau of Labor Statistics knows what's going on in America. And basically the, uh, the title of the piece is Upward Mobility is Alive and Well. And the subheading says, Studies show the vast majority of American adults have higher income than their parents did. Now, if you question this, go look at the actual statistics. Is the American dream in peril, they ask. Collectivists say yes and point to rising inequality of income, but they don't understand the question. A commitment to equality of outcomes in life is totally alien to the American ethos. The words of Abraham Lincoln say that America is committed to, quote, an open field and a fair chance for your industry, enterprise, and intelligence. 
uh, recognizing that in the words of Will Durant, freedom and equality are sworn and everlasting enemies. And when one prevails, the other dies. Now, given the fact that Will Durant was a big leftist, it's amazing that he said that. But listen again, it's so direct and so important. Freedom and equality are sworn and everlasting enemies. And when one prevails, the other dies. America has always chosen freedom. The American dream is of individual upward mobility, not social progress toward uniformity. Analysts for the Pew Charitable Trusts in 2012 quantified the economic advancement of American families. They compared the inflation-adjusted income of parents with the inflation-adjusted income of their children some 30 years later. The parents in the study were 41 years old on average and the children 45 when their incomes were measured. Measured by inflation-adjusted household income, 93% of all children who grew up in the bottom income quintile, that's the bottom 20%, were better off than their parents. Of children in the middle three-fifths of society, in other words, the American middle class, 86% grew up to live in families with higher incomes than their parents. Even among those in the top income quintile, 70% were better off. Since the findings of these studies, and they go on to cite two more definitive studies, uh, covering the past half century were extraordinarily similar, we have averaged them in the nearby chart. For each uh, parent parental income quintile, the chart shows the percentage of adult children from those families who grew up to live in each income quintile. In other words, dividing the country into the top 20%, then the next 20%, the next 20%, uh, dividing it into fifths, into quintiles, the very overwhelmingly common fate for any American is to be in a higher quintile than your parents were. And even for those who start at the top, you end up earning more. They write that you might expect that children would tend to end up in the same income quintile as their parents. Parents impart their genes and their values and their advantages to their children. Those with high income are generally highly educated and give their children every advantage, such as private schools, tutors, and counselors. Poor families often lack the knowledge and resources to provide those advantages. Yet, yet, the share of adult children who grew up to live in a household in the same income quintile as their parents is surprisingly small. The uh, chart shows that for the middle three quintiles, only 22% to 24% of children remain in the same segment as their parents, barely more than the 20% that would result if income quintiles were assigned at random. On average, 39% of these children as adults rose to a higher quintile and 37% fell to a lower one. These are kids who were raised in the middle class. The harshest critics of mobility in America can find little to fault in the income mobility of the three central quintiles. And then they conclude their piece 
with these words, which are very important. This incredible income mobility is measured only over one generation. Parents struggle and sacrifice to provide their children with education and opportunities they themselves lacked. Millions of parents have lived out their dreams through the achievements of their children, generation after generation. As a result, America's real mobility is most visible over multiple generations. Many historians believe George Washington's grandmother came to America as an indentured worker. Washington became one of the richest men in colonial America, and in the words of King George III, the greatest man in the world. Yes, they say, it is better to be born rich, brilliant, and beautiful. But poor, ordinary, and homely people succeed in America every day. The American dream is alive and well. With the uh, dream being alive and well, and that mobility being available to so many people, what is it that makes our politics so very bitter right now? And with people uh, like a uh, defeated candidate for the legislature out in New Mexico uh, actually turning to violence to try to settle personal and uh, political grievances. We'll get to this extraordinary story that involves an arrest in four different shootings at four different target families. We will get to that coming up on The Medved Show. Call The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. Michael Medved show, there is all kinds of conversation about hate speech right now and trying to stop hate speech, and not just in social media, but everywhere. And in fact, there was at the World Economic Forum in Davos where that select group of extraordinary individuals that John Kerry is uh, referencing at uh, Davos. Uh, there is also a uh, the vice president of the European Commission, whose name is Vera Jourova, and uh, at the uh, World Economic Forum, she uh, spoke to Brian Stelter and extolled the virtues of Europe's hate speech laws and suggested they will soon be coming to the United States of America. Uh, This is clip number four. Well, we need the people who understand the language and the case law in the country Mm. because what qualifies as hate hate speech, as illegal hate speech, which you will have soon also in the U.S., I think that um, we we have a strong reason why we have this uh, in the criminal law. Uh, We uh, we need the platforms uh, to simply work with, with the language and to identify such cases the AI would be too dangerous. Uh, the the idea that there is speech that is too dangerous, we have that in the United States. Uh, you are not allowed to speak directly about violence. But other than that, we have something called the Bill of Rights, which does protect people's right to expression. I mean, even if it hurts someone's feelings. What you do not have the right to do is to talk about uh, violence or actually threatening people or actually uh, threatening uh, uh, even officials 
in in the course of their duty. Uh, that not, uh, you can get yourself tagged with uh, seditious conspiracy and more. And speaking of that kind of conspiracy, there's this extraordinary story that really deserves, I think, a great deal of attention. It's a story out of New Mexico where a former Republican candidate, and when you say former, he was just on the ballot in November. He was the Republican nominee for state legislature. He didn't do so well. And part of the reason he didn't do so well is he's a former prisoner and a former burglar. He'd spent seven years in prison. He had gotten involved in prison brawls in which he'd tried to and apparently successfully gouged eyes out. He was an unpleasant person. His name is uh, Solomon Pena, but he was the Republican nominee for state legislature in a district where, again, it wasn't such a strong showing. He got 26% of the vote. His Democratic opponent, the incumbent, got 74%. So (laughs) if you lose by 48%, you pretty clearly have lost. He believes he won. And this is like George Santos, the latest we have from him, where people have recovered some tape of him speaking on January 5th, right before the riot in the Capitol building, speaking to another Stop the Steal uh, assembly, a rally in in D.C., and George Santos uh, talking about um, uh, basically how he won his election. He, He actually lost by 15 points. But he claims he won and that people had taken ballots from his election in uh, New York and had had moved those ballots to Pennsylvania and, and how they did that when they're different ballots altogether. We will get to that. But uh, on this story of Solomon Pena, a former Republican candidate accused of orchestrating attacks on the homes of Democratic rivals cited the need to threaten civil war to achieve political change, uh, according to police investigators who said that a bullet fired in the attacks passed close enough to a sleeping girl to leave her face spattered with dust. This is a little girl of one of the Democrats that he was trying to rub out. Uh, The series of shootings in the wake of the November elections followed other episodes of politically motivated violence across the country in recent months, including an attack on the husband of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, remember that, and uh, rattled the political establishment in New Mexico where Democrats hold both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office. After seeking a state legislative seat, Solomon Pena, 39, a supporter of Donald J. Trump, of course, who attended the pro-Trump rally in Washington on January 6, 2021, refused to concede despite losing by 48 percentage points to an incumbent in a district that has long voted for Democrats. He was arrested on Monday, two days ago, in connection with the shootings at the homes of four Democratic officials. He had a belief process that he was cheated, uh, Chief Harold Medina of the Albuquerque Police said. The police uh, filed a rash of charges against Mr. Pena, including criminal solicitation, attempted aggravated battery, shooting at an occupied building, shooting from a moving vehicle, and conspiracy. Mr. Pena, who previously served time in prison for burglary and many other crimes, took part in at least one of the attacks himself, 
according to the criminal complaint in the case, trying to fire an AR-15 at the home of Linda Lopez, a state senator. He attacked two county commissioners because it's the county commission that verifies the ballot counting in New Mexico and two Democratic state senators who also had opposed him. Uh, Mr. Lopez's 10-year-old daughter told her mother after the shooting that she believed a spider woke her up by crawling on her face, the complaint against Mr. Pena said. Uh, But the next morning, Ms. Lopez found bullet holes in her home. As it turned out, sheetrock dust was blown onto Linda's daughter's face, this is a 10-year-old daughter, and bed from a bullet passing through her bedroom above her head, the complaint said. Uh, In a text message that Mr. Pena sent to one of the accused gunmen, this is, they they described him as a mastermind. He was the mastermind of this conspiracy. How are you a mastermind if you're sending text messages, which can then be used as evidence against you? What an idiot, in addition to everything else. In a text message that Mr. Pena sent to one of the accused gunmen in November, according to the criminal complaint, he highlighted a cryptic passage from a book that was unknown to investigators. Quote, it was only the additional incentive of a threat of civil war that empowered a president to complete the reformist project. That quote appears in the book Stuffing the Ballot Box, a 2002 academic study about fraud and electoral reform in Costa Rica. The belief that civil war is unavoidable in the United States or should be fought to protect uh, conservative values has been a, a frequent rallying cry on the right in recent months, if not for years. What a sad story. And what a horrible story for conservatives or patriots of any kind to be associated with. Speaking of which, new tapes from George Santos. What do they include? We'll talk about it coming up on the Medved Show. The greatest show on God's green earth. It sounds great. The Michael Medved Show. There's all kinds of uh, breaking news uh, that is actually uh, fairly amazing uh, about uh, George Santos. And uh, first of all, new questions about his name. And uh, George Santos is pretty easy, but he has apparently in just the last Two years since he was running for Congress the first time, he has used uh, George Santos, Anthony DeVolder. Apparently, his mother's family's name is DeVolder. Uh, he's also used the name Anthony Zabrowski. And he did that according to one of his former associates. He chose Zabrowski because he was trying to start to make some money, a charity called. Uh, the uh, People for Pets United. 
and they're only for pets that are united, right? That's, but in in any event, the charity doesn't really exist. He collected some money for it, but he listed himself on that one as Anthony Zabrowski, and he said, "Well, I want to get some uh, Jewish money for donations, and the Jews will only support people with Jewish names." And first, <laughs> first of all, Zabrowski could easily be a Polish. Uh, or even a Ukrainian name, but um, certainly a Polish name. But in any event, um, we we go back to George Santos, which is the name by which he is going to be serving on the uh, the House Committee on Science, Technology, and Space. Uh, and this, for a space cadet like Santos, seems very appropriate. Uh, this Business Insider reports two former roommates of Representative George Santos say the congressman took a Burberry scarf from one of them and wore it in public a year later to a 2021 Stop the Steal rally at which he claimed his own 2020 election had been stolen away from him. He lost by 15 points. He, it wasn't close. He was running as an incumbent commis, uh, congressman, Tom Swosey, and he lost by 15 points. The new revelation adds to a lengthy and growing list of accusations robbed at the new member of Congress. By the way, it, the the scarf was $520? Is is there anyone out there within sound of my voice who, who would ever even dream of buying a, a scarf for $520? It's just, it's, okay, I'm not known for my resplendent wardrobe, right? And, I, you know, buying any piece of clothing for $520. But that's not all. They, uh, they also said in messages in 2020 between uh, these two roommates of his, uh, Maury Parker and Robello, uh, the two roommates vented about the items they suspected Santos had stolen from both of them, including an Armani shirt worth $500. A shirt? Worth $500? The roommates refer to him as Anthony in the messages, matching reports that Santos was previously using the name Anthony DeVolder. Now, why this changing around of names? It's to skip out from the various legal charges against him. It's charged in Brazil as Anthony DeVolder for stealing uh, blank checks from a hospitalized, a, a patient who was getting home care that his mother was providing in Brazil. And so she helped him steal blank checks and then forged checks to buy clothing. More of this, this clothing deal that he seems to be obsessed with. Okay, this is all extraordinary. And uh, there's, there's this on uh, George Santos introducing himself as founder of a, a very, very important political group this is uh, back in 2019, where he was trying to get uh, black Americans, quote, to walk away from the Democratic Party. Uh, listen, clip six. I recently founded a movement called United for Trump on Facebook. Um, our first rally was the rally last Saturday in Fifth Avenue where Brandon and Barbara were in attendance. I'm one of the co-founders for that um, organization. Uh, as a gay man and having always been a Republican, I've always had a lot of controversy around that because I'm pro-life, I'm 
gay, I'm a Republican, and also my parents are immigrants. So um, uh, a lot of people would say, wow, you like compiling minorities. Damn it, yeah, it's, it's a hobby. Um, what I see um, personally with the issue at hand as far as abortion goes is we're too focused um, in creating a, a, a fast solution to a problem instead of educating people on how to not get pregnant. Right. How about not getting pregnant and how about avoiding to having to abort kids? Okay, obviously, if you're gay, you have an easier time avoiding getting pregnant. I mean, I, there's that a bigoted thing to say. Uh, there's also... Uh, Colbert was all over Santos, and the part that is particularly funny is uh, Santos, uh, in a radio interview while he was a candidate, talking about his athletic achievements in a college he never attended. Uh, but uh, it sounded like this as Colbert presented it. This is clip one. When I was in Baruch, we were the number one volleyball. Did you graduate from Baruch? Uh, did you graduate from there? Yeah. So did I. I did. I did. So did I. Oh, very cool. So, great school. Great institution. Very yes. liberal, but very good. Very good professors. Oh yeah, yeah. Great, great, great school. Great professors. Dumbledore, McGonagall, the uh, <laughs> the nutty. Uh, Santos continued to fabricate, telling a story with a sad, made-up ending. We went to, to play against Harvard, Yale, and we. Slay them. <laughs> them. We were champions across the entire Northeast Corridor. Every school that came up against us, they were shaking at the time. Look, I sacrificed both my knees and got very nice knee replacements, uh, knee replacements from oh, wow. HSS playing volleyball. That's how serious I took the game. It's true. Doctors say one of the most dangerous sports is imaginary volleyball. <laughs> And, uh, again, it's not even true about the volleyball team. And then uh, there's more about his MBA, and, which is non-existent, and his advice to kids. Listen. But Santos didn't stop with the BS and BS. In a recently unearthed 2020 podcast, Santos bragged about graduating from NYU with an MBA. I put myself through college and got an MBA from NYU, and I have zero debt. It's hard work. You got to do it. He ended the interview with a powerful message to the youth. Nothing comes for free. Nothing in the life is free. And the harder you work for something, the more you want it. And the more you want it, the more rewarding it is. I hate looking at youth today and seeing them sitting on their behinds and acting like, you know, oh, this is so hard. Yeah, you lazy youth. <laughs> How many accomplishments did you make up today? One, two... <laughs> George Santos tells 10 lies before breakfast. And, and there's more. We have time for the January 5th and the scarf. Listen. Santos said after losing his first run for Congress, here he is on January 5th of 2021 at a Stop the Steal rally. They did to me what they did to Donald J. Trump. They stole my election. And he knows stealing when he sees it because, and this is true, he made that speech in a scarf he stole from his roommates. And uh, he doesn't even put on that it was a $520 Burberry scarf. Uh, maybe he could give it back uh, as he um, takes his place on the Science, Technology, and Space Committee. 
Uh, do you remember at, at, at one point, Sheila Jackson Lee was, uh, I, I think, chairman of that committee. And uh, she had asked people what happened to the American flag on Mars, which doesn't exist. Uh, and again, people would say, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee represents Houston. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. You are speaking truth. Medved. You're... seen his approval ratings and his support levels in the Republican Party, which, of course, is going to be the key basis for making the decision whether he will be the nominee again or not in uh, November of – it's not this year. It's of next year. We have a bunch of elections coming up this November, November of 2023, but it's still close on to two years away before the presidential election. In any event, um, the headline on the Hill is Trump trounces DeSantis in potential GOP primary matchup, new poll finds. And this goes against uh, another poll that we referenced yesterday. And it's a poll by WP Intel. And uh, it's a poll that was taken January 8th. But it shows that uh, Biden running against Trump uh, Biden wins big. And again, this is uh, after we have gotten, though not as much intensity, information about those Biden documents in his garage next to his Corvette and some of uh, that kind of reporting, which certainly doesn't help President Biden. He still beats Trump 49 points to 41 percent. Whereas against uh, DeSantis, a uh, DeSantis actually beats Biden by three points. So there's an 11-point spread. Uh, in other words, Republicans do 11 points better and have a victory if DeSantis is the nominee, at least according to this poll. DeSantis <clears throat> tops Biden 45 to 42. But then there's a more recent poll which shows that Trump's improvement in the favorability ratings, and what does that have to do with the the general assumption is it has to do with Biden being hurt by the document scandal. The headline in the Hill is Trump trounces DeSantis in potential GOP primary matchup. And uh, it says that a, a morning consult poll released today showed Trump with 48 percent among potential Republican primary voters, followed by DeSantis with 31 percent. That's uh, that's trouncing. I mean, it's 17 points, but it means that uh, at, at least at this stage of the campaign, DeSantis is somewhat competitive. Trump's front-runner position differs from some polls since the November midterm elections, which have shown DeSantis closing the gap with Trump or taking the lead in some cases. Former Vice President Mike Pence came in a distant third with 8 percent, followed by former Representative Liz Cheney with 3 uh, percent. Can I say that as much as I 
like and admire Liz Cheney, uh, her chance of winning the Republican nomination for president is kind of remote. I mean, uh, ranging on non-existent. Former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley and Senator Ted Cruz both received 2%. The other former U.N. ambassador who was in the race, the only the second uh, Republican to actually announce his candidacy, John Bolton, he doesn't register at all. Uh, Trump's support in morning console polls over the past month has stayed between 45 and 50 percent, while DeSantis, they report here, has hovered around 30 percent. Among Trump voters in the most recent poll, And this is interesting. DeSantis is comfortably the second choice, with 44% backing the Florida governor. About 20% of those who said that if Trump drops out said they would support Pence, and uh, 7% would back Cruz. Uh, Just over a third of DeSantis supporters would vote for Trump, however, as their second choice, while 14% would support Pence and 13% would back Haley. Pollsters found Trump's favorability rating among potential Republican primary voters has been improving over the last month, with 77% having a favorable view view of him. What what has Trump done exactly in the last month that would cause his favorability to go up? It is is extraordinarily unclear, it it does seem to me. DeSantis has an advantage among potential voters who view both of them unfavorably. Only 11% said they view DeSantis unfavorably, while 23% say they view Trump unfavorably. The uh, poll did show that DeSantis would perform somewhat better against President Biden, which is the same thing that that uh, Intel poll showed that uh, in a hypothetical general election matchup, uh, DeSantis led Biden by three points. It's exactly the same as the other poll. While Biden led Trump by three points, uh, 43 to 40%, not as much. Now, again, people saw in the last election, they certainly saw in 2016, polls can be inaccurate. And when elections are close, and American elections have been very close because we're a closely divided country, the the idea that uh, polls that are taken so far in advance of when people will actually be voting to choose the next president, that they could be accurate, that is going to be uh, very, very shaky uh, in terms of a uh, ironclad ground for prediction. Uh, but one of the things you can predict, it seems to me, is that Democrats are going to help themselves by uh, taking on uh, issues that are, I guess, woke, uh, politically correct, but incredibly foolish. There's a viral video of a uh, representative in the Minnesota House of Representatives where actually the Democrats have now taken over both houses of the Minnesota legislature. They had a good election in Minnesota. The Democrats did. There's a um, representative, Sandra Feist, who is arguing passionately for a civil rights issue. The civil rights issue involves feminine hygiene products that she wants to be installed in all bathrooms, including male bathrooms. 
why do they have to have feminine hygiene products and male bathrooms and why is this a concern for the legislature? Listen, clip nine. Not all students who menstruate are female. Um, we need to make sure that all students have access to these products. Um, there are obviously less um, non-female menstruating students and therefore their usage will be much lower. And that was actually um, calculated into the cost of this um, and how much we decided to fund it. And so we, we do not expect that the non-female menstruating students will use um, these products as much as the, the students using female bathrooms, but it's important to have them there. Um, and that brings me to the, just the social emotional reasons for that. Um, these students who are not female, who menstruate, um, face a greater stigma and barrier um, to asking for these products. And so providing them in an easily accessible place um, in all student bathrooms is particularly important for those students. Okay, we are, we are now talking about uh, non-female menstruating students. So... Can can we say that these are transgendered students, male transgendered students who once were female and that's why they are menstruating? And and again, the idea that, that schools, with everything else they want to take on, have to now take on the uh the concerns of non menstruating high school students. And and by the way, this is this is this is just extraordinary because again one of the concerns here would be most people in high school are relatively young i mean normally people graduate age 18 in high school uh so you're you're talking about expecting students to have fully transitioned before high school it's uh, it seems to me extraordinary, and uh, I'm glad that everything is uh, so terrific at the uh, Minnesota public schools that uh, the legislature has to be concerned with all of that. Um, we also have uh, going on uh, in February 15th is a a big event in Jerusalem. It is the Our Crowd Summit. And uh, our crowd investors, people who have invested in anything, can register for free. Uh, places are limited. Tickets are going fast. If you're not an investor but would like to get your teeth into the biggest and most exciting business event in Israel every year, register now and secure a 15% January discount by registering before January 31st using the promo code OC, our crowd, Summit 15. Uh, that's the 15th summit they've had. Uh, go to michaelmedved.com. Look for the banner for Our Crowd in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.